Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome to Military Network Radio. We're delighted you've joined us this morning. We have a very interesting show this morning on what I will call resilience. It's about vets and spinal cord injury. We have uh, Pam Eggleston with me today as co-host. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Just fine, thank you. I am delighted to introduce two very exceptional guests. Uh, Chris Nywim is an Army veteran of OIF in Kuwait, and he has literally worked for all of the big advocacy veterans groups and continues to help with continuing service to his fellow vets on the Hill with advocacy. He testifies. He does just about anything in order to glean better care, better health, and better well-being. We also have with us Michael Paul, an Army veteran of the Gulf War, who personally lives with spinal cord injury, and he also continues to serve his fellow veterans through advocacy and a new organization, On Target for Veterans. Mostly today, we're going to discuss the challenges, the legislative hurdles, the personal victories, and the family life of those with spinal cord injuries. Welcome, Chris and Michael, to Military Network Radio. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. Very glad to have you here. And I think the interesting part about spinal cord injury is that I don't think our listeners probably understand the complexity of what spinal cord injury means, whether it's a lower level SCI, spinal cord injury, I hate to use acronyms without explaining them, an an upper level, what are some of the limitations, what are some of the challenges, and mostly how can we help to raise the quality of life for everyone returning with a spinal cord injury or a disease? So Chris, we'll start with you because I know you have talked on the Hill to many a committee and really have dealt with a lot of the legislative hurdles. Of course. Well, I would just say uh, first and foremost, I mean, the first thing we can always do in these types of issue areas and advocacy areas is to know about them. I, you know, on, on Memorial Day weekend and on, on Veterans Day, we always have a, a very large involvement from the public to, you know, honor our service members and their sacrifices. That's great. And we'll always continue to do that. But for those of us that are closer to these issues and more connected to them, really we deal with them every day. And so our mission is to get the public, get members of the community, get policymakers to get past that initial level of of noticing it and learning more Mm -hmm. about it and learning what are the issues, what are the things that we can be doing better. So as, as sort of an overview, it's bringing the awareness beyond the initial level and getting down to uh, learning more about what these issues actually are. So in the case of uh, spinal cord injuries, uh, uh, service-connected injuries, and more specific healthcare issues within the veteran population, what are they and what are uh, the current services that the Department of Veterans Affairs, um, uh, state-level community providers, what are they currently providing? You know, are, are they good? Could they be improved? So I think that just as an overview, it's getting to that more deep level of understanding of what those issues are. Uh, in a general sense, uh, today, 
you know, there have been issues at the Department of Veterans Affairs, you know, regarding health care access and um, resources and uh, sort of the scope of delivery. And so that's sort of the the overview of, you know, the environment on the Hill, making sure that the, the, the services we currently have are efficient, are working before we look at do we need to improve them? Are, you know, are, are we, we good here? So um, that's sort of an overview. And there are, are many drop down issues that we can get more in depth on uh, relating to spinal cord injuries and veterans health under the, um, you know, the, the environment on the Hill now in an election year of, you know, what is the proper uh, resourcing level for the VA mm-hmm. and um, going from there. No, excellent overview. And Michael, I wonder if you would tell us your story and how you came to be both an advocate and obviously have triumphed over any limitations that you might have had. That's what I would like to emphasize on this program is that there are so many people who have shown amazing resilience in the face of things that when civilians take a look, they may not feel that they could manage such a thing. But everybody I have ever known is they, they rebound. Sure, there are definitely growing steps along the way, but it is an, a remarkable feat. And I, I love the continuing to serve veterans. So, Michael, can you share your story with us, please? Yes, uh, I served as an Airborne Ranger attached to military intelligence, long range reconnaissance with the 101st and 3rd ID. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once once the Gulf War was over, I decided to get out of active duty and went to school and everything and continue to skydive. And actually, when I was 30 years old, um, had sustained a skydiving accident, not, not necessarily just a hard landing, probably accumulated over several jumps, but uh, blew out my L1 vertebrae and left me paralyzed instantly. Fortunately, uh, with my background, I think I was pretty good about adapting and overcoming but uh at that time it happened in 2002 i was looking to go back in because we had just um mm-hmm. you know 9-11 had happened and uh wanted to go back and i was better as a wartime soldier than a garrison soldier as a lot of people probably know mm-hmm. what that means in the military <laughs> but right. um and I, you know, because I couldn't serve, I wanted to continue to serve my fellow veterans because I knew at that time that we would be having a lot of veterans coming back, sustaining injuries through, you know, combat and uh, instantly got involved with various different nonprofits who were helping veterans and decided in 2011 I wanted to start my own after working with the Paralyzed Veterans of America, being a counselor and uh National Service Officer for Paralyzed Veterans of America. Mm-hmm. And that led me into wanting to just focus on the recreational part. And, and due to the fact that I got my master's degree in counseling, I wanted to use peer mentoring in these programs uh, and, and helping them when they got out through recreational therapy, uh, adaptive sports, because that's what helped me tremendously is just uh, getting involved with other veterans or mm-hmm. other people with disabilities in the adaptive sports realm, it really, you know, helped me overcome the obstacles that come when you've been dealt, you know, a, a tough hand to deal with. And a mm-hmm. lot of people have a hard time bouncing back from that when you rely so much on your physical capabilities mm-hmm. and then you're 
basically put into a world where you have no legs or, you know, you're not able to do the things you used to be able to do. So, you know, I think that uh, the adaptive sports is really gives the confidence to these, you know, disabled vets who uh, sustain these injuries and, and it gives them the confidence and hope that they can still be a productive citizen in our country serving their fellow men, whether it's uh, through advocacy or, you know, um, any thing in your community. So, yeah, just being a patient and helping others, peer mentoring others. And, and right. I just really felt that that was my new calling. You know, I wasn't able to go back and serve with my fellow, you know, soldiers in the Army. Or uh, at that time, I was looking in the Navy going into search and rescue because at that time I was really into parachuting, skydiving, and, and I wanted to continue doing that in the military. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, you know, in September 29, 2002, I sustained that injury that, you know, basically disabled me forever. Um, basically, L1 incomplete spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my level. And so my level is a little bit different than most people's. You know, you have quadriplegics, which are cervical and then thoracic and then lumbar. And fortunately, mine was at a lower level. So I still have a lot of functions that some of these guys don't. And I mm-hmm. always am very compassionate and have empathy for the guys that are, you know, a higher level spinal cord injury patient. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I, I think my situation is bad until I look at those guys and realize, wow, I'm blessed with my capabilities and I should definitely take advantage of every opportunity I have to be able to use my hands and flex my muscles in my arms versus someone who doesn't have that. So that's a little bit about me. Hopefully I answered those questions for you. You did. Pam, you had a question. Yes. And um, we have uh, just a few minutes left. So, um, and this question is directed to Michael uh, and it's really two parts. Um, One is because I'm really interested when people say they're doing recreational um, sports and therapy and adaptive sports for this population. As you know, Michael, they're, um, well, I don't know if anyone knows, but there's something like 40,000 nonprofit, military nonprofits. And a lot of these places do adaptive sports. They do recreational uh, therapeutic types of things for service members, veterans, and their families. So perhaps if we, when we come back from the commercial break, if you could think about how your organization, your nonprofit is different in that regard and, and how you are able to um, infuse something that may be distinct to what you believe is important for the population and what um, um, has helped you come to realize through your um, challenges and blessings um, with your injury. And then also, so that's one part. And the other part is, um, I'm trying to, I'm I'm being mindful of the time, but are you looking at, um, I think that sports and anything adaptive and therapeutic is alternative or complementary. And Linda and I are very kind of in tune with that space. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a yoga instructor and yoga therapist, and I work with veterans. So I want you to think about in terms of a therapeutic aspect and in terms of being complementary to the standard, you know, kind of VA medication, um, you know, hospitalization thing, how your program or how you even envision your program, like perhaps since it's fairly new that you haven't gotten to that point, but how you see uh, it growing and expanding into those spaces. So I know that that's a lot, and I want you to think about, that when we get back. I don't know, Linda. It's just that I didn't give him enough time. It's like less than a minute. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> hey, yeah, I got you. 
Let's got it after our first break because those questions were so long i will promise to repeat them to you <laughs> right come back after the break but basically i i think that we would love to take a look at how recreation and adaptive sports helps in this arena as it does in so many others and the therapeutic aspects of what we can do as peers and working with other veterans you're listening to military network radio we'll be back after these short messages Hi, all military moms, dads, and grandparents. This is Linda Crater at Military Network Radio. In a military family, everyone serves, and we know how hard you work to provide a great education for your military kids. K-12 believes each child is uniquely brilliant. So to prepare them for college and success beyond high school, they deserve an education designed just for them. Learn more at k12.com forward slash grade about enrolling. A child's brilliance comes in many forms. Some are curious, others inventive, some analytical. K-12 is a full-time, tuition-free online option to traditional public school. Taught by state-certified teachers, schools powered by K-12 provide an individualized education, enhancing your child's ability to succeed. K-12 programs teach, too, and embrace your child's unique brilliance. Students from K-12-powered schools go on to fine colleges and universities, enhancing their ability to succeed. Join the community of military families who have succeeded with a tuition-free online K-12 education. K-12 welcomes students for grades K through 12. Visit k12.com forward slash grade or call 855-628-9531 for more information about enrolling. That's k12.com forward slash grade. is National Chocolate Month. Historians say the Aztecs discovered chocolate 3,100 years ago, and it was revered to the point of worship. The word chocolate comes from the Aztec word chocolatl, which referred to the bitter, spicy drink the Aztecs made from the cacao beans. The first chocolate bar was invented in 1847 by Joseph Fry. Did you know that it takes one year for a cacao tree to produce enough pods to make 10 chocolate bars? The scientific name for the tree that chocolate comes from, Theobroma cacao, means food of the gods. Man cannot live by chocolate alone, but we women sure can. Personally, I could give up chocolate, but I'm not a quitter. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Christopher Nyweem and Michael Paul talking about spinal cord injury and the resilience of our returning veterans. Uh, before the break, Pam asked a very lengthy question. I'll see if I can make it more <laughs> succinct. Um, she asked about the value of the adaptive uh, and recreational sports that are helping veterans to be among their peers. And also, are there any therapeutic therapies that are, you're seeing in more of the complementary alternative medicine realm, the CAM therapies, that are really uh, helpful and supportive of spinal cord injury vets? Michael, that's yours. Yep. Okay. So uh, basically, you know, you know, she brought up some great aspects, and I definitely think that um, the even the holistic health 
approach to healing is beneficial. And in the future, on target for vets, ot4v.com hopes to uh, develop these, you know, camps that people can go to, retreats that are where we can incorporate a lot of these modalities that are very effective in helping with their healing process. Even the mental aspect of post-traumatic stress um, is very beneficial to do yoga and, and the breathing and getting massages, acupuncture, a lot of the services that the VA doesn't offer uh, is very therapeutic. And that's what helped me a lot in my process of healing is, you know, fortunately I knew a lot of great uh, holistic health practitioners that were doing Reiki and massage therapy, acupuncture, and, and helping me in my healing process, which probably helped me develop so that I gained back some sensations as well as uh, motor neuron function in my legs to be able to stand and stuff. So those things are very important, but the recreational aspect, how it's very important is just bringing these guys together, creating that camaraderie. Um, and what we do is on Earth Vets, we do fishing trips annually in North Carolina, which, you know, we just had that May 27th in Moorhead City. And we bring together about 70 veterans all on a charter fishing boat. They go out fishing all day. They come back. They get, you know, creating these memories and connections and networks amongst each other, helping them through their therapeutic process of dealing with life, whether it's, you know, employment, um, uh, just getting jobs or finding connections or resources. It's it's really good to bring these guys together for those type of things. We also do hand cycle clinics, um, a ski camp in Colorado, and and they you know you're basically creating memories for them and and helping develop their own family within the group, and that way they can continue on through life with that connection with those individuals that they experience that with. But Chris probably knows some things as well. I was going to say, Chris, do you want to take that one too? Sure. You know, I, I think that you know from what I hear from the the actual healthcare at the VA is in some of these specialty areas like um, SCI spinal cord injury, it, it's good. I mean, you have you have doctors and people that have been trained to specifically focus on this area. Uh, the more of the issues I think come from. You know, like we just discussed, the gaps, the areas that mm-hmm. that they don't work on, or you know, issues with access. But you know, I, I think that it's something that we we should look at is just you know, the majority of somebody's life is going to be outside of the doctor's office and outside of the hospital, not in their community. And that's where mm-hmm. um, you know, getting getting involved in the things that you want to do. And you know, certainly, um, you know, I've not experienced uh, firsthand a spinal cord injury. Uh, there, there was one in my family uh, related to um, uh, an accident, um, uh, so uh, lost the use of the legs. And so, um, for us, you know, we we got to experience, you know, how to create the, um, you know, the, the new normal as some people use. Uh, you know, other folks want to get away from certain uh, characterizations, and it's it's all preference. But you know, g- get it, getting around, you know, figuring out, you know, mobility. What, you know, and and so. 
for our family and, you know, before the work, you know, on, on, on the Hill and after training from Iraq and working with a lot of these veterans, I have a, a pretty familiar uh, a feel with it. But many people don't. I mean, many people don't mm-hmm. know that, you know, when you're when you go to run errands or you're you're, you're going out to, to meet friends or to go out to an event, you know, there's there's more planning that's going to take place. And so, you know, just beyond the, the healthcare aspect of it is, you know, what is this experience getting to know these people, veterans? Who are they? What kind of things are they involved in? And, and when you start to, you know, breach past that, that first line of learning about the types of injuries in healthcare and learn about that community, you, you really start to, it, it becomes more intuitive where you start to ask more questions and the right questions and are able to, um, you know, really connect more. And, and you don't need to be a veteran. You don't need to mm-hmm. um, have a, a specific background to be able to make that connection. And I think that's what, uh, you know, our, our, whole discussion, you know, gives, gives rise to is that, that increased interest with people that are not familiar with, with these types of conditions and and injuries and, and learn about them. That's what is so very valuable. While there are 24 VA medical centers that are actual spinal cord injury centers, I think that there, there isn't the awareness of this as much as there is of say PTSD or traumatic brain injury. And yet, um, as an airborne ranger, um, you're probably not the only person who has spinal injuries. Yours came after service, but there are many who have compression spine problems um, with partial uh, spinal cord injuries, and it, it really does accumulate over time. And so having those around you, it does help. Can we go back to the beginning of a, a continuum of care, if you would? So when someone is initially injured, there is obviously the shock that your life has just changed in a second, which is one lesson that is very difficult to learn, but it's right there for you. As you move through that, do you feel as though the support is good in terms of the mental health, the challenges, other vet peers? Is this an area of strength among our armed services? Either Michael or Chris. Michael, well, you want to take that one? Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, you, of course, you always rely heavily on your family and friends and, and it's, it's, it's traumatic even for them because they have to mentally wrap their head around it, uh, that their loved one has been injured so bad that they, they, they got to consider having personal caregivers or, you know, constant therapy for the first year and a half. They say they want you to really aggressively do therapy just to see what kind of returns you're going to get. And that's when you have the most hope of, you know, getting returns is within that time span. So I think it's just really rough on everyone, but you definitely um, need the help through the VA or your primary care physicians as well as their staff to help in the recovery. Um, And there's, Definitely a checklist that I know when I worked at the VA in Long Beach with Paralyzed Veterans of America, there was a checklist of things and of where you went to and different resources, you know, social worker and everything. So there is that system in place. Now, whether it's the best that we have in the VA system, I don't, there's always room for improvement, of course, but I think that uh, they definitely are probably the best 
departments, I think, at the VA is the spinal cord injury. And that's due to the advocacy that people like Chris have done for our veterans. But he can talk to you more about that. Wow, Chris. I feel the same way. I mean, I've heard you. I've listened to you talk. If you had to describe what are some of the biggest hurdles that you've really had to address on the Hill and through advocacy, can you name them? Sure. I think that the first thing is, you know, like spinal cord injury, for example, it's a very unique, very specific condition where, you know, when we have, you know, there's 22 million veterans, about 8 million, uh, give or take, are enrolled in the VA. Then the number of those that use it uh, regularly, it goes a little lower, and then you have a lot of fluctuation. It's, um, it is a huge healthcare system, Mm -hmm. but making sure that they can do those things right. And in the, in the greater debate about VA healthcare has been this issue of capacity, you know, who Mm -hmm. should the VA care for? And this actually gets a little more into uh, some controversial areas within the the VA, the veteran community. We usually don't, you know, debate each other so much and, and get into that because it's sort of the greater good. We should have plenty of resources for our veterans and they should get the care they need. Well, that that's great. However, you know, looking at spinal cord injured veterans, service-connected injuries, you know, there are some that say when we have this, you know, huge open envelope of veterans that are, um, you know, going there for primary care, does that take away from some of these unique conditions? And that that's hmm. a debate that's going on. In other words, why don't we look at the uh, service-connected issues and these health clinics where we can really put in the, the funding and the expertise to, to getting that right and perhaps – some of those veterans that um, go for primary care, but they don't have a service-connected condition, you know, perhaps they go out into the into the private sector, and um, you know, we're able to sort of balance care that way. So that's something that we're that we're still discussing. As far as um, hurdles, I, I think the access issue continues to be a hurdle as far as getting veterans in in a timely fashion. And, and you have this back and forth ping pong of, well, the veterans in the rural area, it's always going to be harder to, to, to help them. So we're going to get contracts with local clinics. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And then the issue of, you know, private sector referrals, which also gets into one of those sort of uh, evergreen debates of, well, if we're going to have a VA and it's going to be resourced, then you need to go to it. You know, if we're going to make it great, you have to go to it. Or, you know, can still be great and you can use it if it's within your geographic vicinity. But every now and again, if, if there's a if there's a clinic that offers specialty care that's five miles away, can the VA pay for it? So that that's the, the sort of overview of hurdles is trying to figure out the right amount of sourcing. And there's also been a, an issue with accountability as far as there is a small percentage and it's a very small percentage of the VA workforce that, you know, does not get things right or can even at times – engage in conduct that we don't think is, um, you know, worthy of Michael or I or anybody who use the system. And, and there's been a hard time getting those people out of there because of some of the, some of the, the labor issues. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the bigger right. one is, is certainly the, um, you know, prioritizing those specific conditions and making sure we're spending money on the right things and, and saving costs on things that are underutilized or that we're not, we're not, uh, is not vital. So Chris, in your experience, we have just about a minute and a half left. Um, did you, do you find that these very specific injuries that do need attention in a timely fashion, because that's the time of greatest capacity to grow and recover as much as possible, are we serving those veterans right on time. 
I think I think we are. I think we are in the case of spinal cord injury and uh, blind uh, blind veterans, blind rehab, things like that. My mm-hmm. biggest concern about this area is the follow up and the the longevity and the long term care because it's one of those things where you need to have that long term care in place. And frankly, look at the things that we were talking about early earlier, which is you know, the, the types of, you know, the life you're living, you know, it's mm-hmm. not always just about the, the healthcare is important, but what, what, how can we fully empower you to, you know, live the, the life you want to live? And that with that comes, uh, you know, more awareness and, and communities and getting people to really embrace and understand, um, you know, what life is like after um, these injuries occur. And, Perfect. Uh, Chris, I have to stop thing. you. We're going on a quick sure. break. You'll, we will be back after these messages. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Many of us look forward to the holidays all year long. It is such a magnificent opportunity to get together with family and friends and decorate and give gifts and eat the most delicious food. But numerous people dread the holidays. As far as their weight, health, and exercise are concerned, they know they'll have so much temptation and chances to derail their healthy lifestyle. Many just resolve themselves into thinking that gaining weight over the holidays is a fact and there is no way to avoid it. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to embrace the holidays. Have a plan before you go to any dinner, party, or event and decide what you're going to eat and stick with it. Yes, there will be temptation, but you can overcome it. Stay with the plan and reap the benefits. You can contact us at fitnessminute at annettehammond.com. Well, skunks are making the news again. Seems everyone has a skunk story. A friend of mine was dozing on the couch on her patio when she felt something furry brush up against her hand. She thought it was her cat until she smelled a terrible odor. I was petting a skunk, she told me. What's a word for shocked? Timey-wimey. In Colorado, a wildlife officer was called to help a skunk whose head was stuck in a peanut butter jar. After tugging for 10 minutes, they finally freed the critter and it ran away without spraying anyone. Guess that was a fair trade, otherwise known as quitter for quarter. In Minnesota, it's illegal to tease a skunk. What's the word for teasing a skunk? Tan-tan tanning, port wardling, and downright foolish. It's marching Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Christopher Nywim and Michael Paul about spinal cord injuries. Uh, Michael, I'll address this one to you. Uh, there are day-to-day things that I think those of us without spinal cord injuries don't consider. We always consider the mobility issues. But what are some of the other issues that are important when you are wheelchair-bound or in a sedentary spot most of the time? Tell our audience um, just a couple of things that may make them better understand the day-to-day life that you go through. Well, for for 
the biggest obstacle is one just the hurdle in the mind of a lot. The majority of uh, the people think that you know when you go out and you're in a wheelchair, they're like, "Well, it's it's good to see you're out." You know, you know, people that do have spinal cord injuries do get out, and although there are some issues that they have, bigger issues that can be created if they are in a sedentary lifestyle and which they can get infections due to pressure sores, whether or possibly uh, urinary tract infections, which can occur mm-hmm. if they're not emptying their bladder, and that, mm-hmm. that could kill them. Mm-hmm. So, and so what you're saying self-care is very, very important, as well as staying fit enough to do the pressure releases. And does that always work? Or are there times where it is, I mean, it doesn't take long for an infection to take hold if someone is... For example, one of the things I was reading prior to the program is that if there is alcohol overuse, that that can cause both bladder filling that may be more frequent than is normal to release. Um, It lowers your ability to fight off infections. This is just one example. And I would presume that there are others. So how are those things taught to you and how is it brought home? Well, one of the biggest issues that we have now and which is being uh, they're working on is the Caregivers Act and, and just ensuring that everyone that has that is able to has access to good caregivers, and that's important. Um, but if you're not service-connected, which there's a lot of veterans who sustain injuries outside of the military, you know, whether it's a motorcycle accident or car accident, and that, you know, they don't have the caregivers uh, to help them with that because they're living on their Social Security or their pet VA pension, and they don't have access to those things as far as someone who's service-connected has full you know, benefits of those rights to have the caregivers and being paid by the VA. Now, that uh, is a big issue, in, but it can, it can be worse if they are drinking alcohol or abusing drugs or if they, you know, not necessarily abusing drugs, but there's a lot the VA's method of taking care of things is giving you a pill. And some of these guys do end up over, you know, taking their pain meds or something. And that, that can be a, you know, just, you know, a downward spiral for that veteran in which will eventually you know, they could die from the infections that they receive, whether it's urinary tract infections, pressure sores, or, you know, bowel incontinence is another option uh, mm-hmm. Option that is not uh, looked at a lot by the general public is, you know, just the lack of use of their bowel movement. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that, that's a huge issue that can kill them. Right. Things that would ordinarily not are, are suddenly now very suspect. Chris, do you have anything to add to that in terms of what you're seeing as um, the – how do we put this? I, I, I'm, I'm trying to look at the Caregiver Act thing, but I know that that's a totally separate topic um, based on what I know about the Caregivers Act and how those are assigned and uh, reassigned. So I don't think we should go into that part on this program because that is a huge topic. But Chris, as you're talking with um, the access issues on the Hill and elsewhere advocating, 
are the access issues diminishing? Uh, are these uh, vets prioritized? Um, do you see that there's classifications that are obtaining care in a timely fashion, as well as what you mentioned before, the follow-up, the follow-through? This is a long-term chronic forever condition. Sure. So I, I, th- I think they are. And, and part of that is, you know, organizations like Paralyzed Veterans of America and others, ha- I mean, they really do have a very strong, passionate advocacy presence and footprint where uh, they're just, they're not going to let off when it comes to some of those. I mean, they have, you know, inspection rights to facilities and it, it goes beyond that sort of surface area of just sort of checking in and going over to, you know, VA to have meetings and ha- is everything great? Oh, you say it is great. We're done. I mean, they, they're really going to get in there and, um, and, and, and advocate passionately. And most vets groups do. So some, I think sometimes are a little bit too, they're too uh, soft on the VA and they're a little more connected there, but I, I think, yes. But one thing that I, I did want to point on and, you know, without going into all the, the policy specifics of the caregiver act, um, Michael mentioned something that I think is really important. And that is, benefits are different for different categories of vets. And it sometimes creates a little bit of, of, Mm -hmm. you know, angst and it kind of gets us a little bit, uh, you know, gruff at times because sometimes there's almost no difference between the scenario and the, and the need aside from circumstance case in point, if you are, you know, injured as a result of, you know, say a a combat incident post 9-11 versus a combat incident pre 9-11, your access to to caregiver benefits and the the support that the VA provides your, uh, you know, your military family is different than if it were the day before. And and so those are sort of things, you know, and those are things that, you know, from a moral standpoint, I think we absolutely should expand that and drop the bottom out of that, that, that statute and, and provide it for previous generations, Vietnam, but it, it, but there are a lot of complexities where you have people that say, well, you know, we're meeting this this urgent need now, and so on and so forth. But the the, the key point here, you know, without going into the nuances of the caregiver law, is that you know a veteran with a disability is a veteran with a disability, regardless of how you sustained it. In many ways, is is irrelevant. I mean, it could have been from a combat incident, it could be from a car accident, it could be from any kind of accident, but the needs are the same. And and so I, I believe that the healthcare is good across the board. However, um, benefits and awareness is there's a difference there. And so getting people to understand, you know, these particular, uh, that these conditions, you know, getting to learn the condition and, and the people and the, and the circumstance is more important than sort of just, you know, like I said earlier, that surface level interest where you're like, okay, I get that. But without understanding that every one of these injuries is different and unique, but the need is still the same. And so I think there will come a point in time where, you know, uh, you know, federal, uh, you know, um, support becomes more streamlined where we're not, you know, splitting hairs when it comes to, you know, providing these benefits, the benefit scheme. Well, no doubt. And, you know, I, I'm very familiar with the Caregiver Act, and I and I agree with you on the 9/11. I do know it's gone to committee, uh, and is waiting for Senate vote at this point on a, an expansion to some of the areas in the Caregiver Act. Let's go back to what family members need or can do to help. I, th- I think uh, obviously after the first shock, initial shock of uh, this changed lifestyle, uh, and obviously having more logistical planning to do in the future, etc. How can the family work together to uh, weather such a 
a change in their in their lifestyle. I, who wants that question? I'll take it. Okay. Um, I think you got to find a good balance between you know catering to that person and also giving them the freedom to uh, challenge themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, opportunities need to be you know gradually brought upon that person when the timing is right to you know, excel and and figure out what their limitations are, what they can and cannot do. Um, and I think if they get the person or, you know, whether the soldier involved with uh, other people that are in the same situation, maybe further along, you know, everyone talks about the alive day and that's your new beginning for a new life. So, I think, um, you know, if you find people have been, you know, their alive days been 10 years, 20 years post-injury, that they're going to be able to mentor uh, those individuals who are struggling currently with a new injury. Um, they're going to do a lot better in giving them the resources or also helping the family with ideas how to do this or that because it's a learning process for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the family families suffer more sometimes than the actual person injured because they have to deal with you know their loved one you know really struggling the emotional strain it puts upon the families and and the relationships in the families so yeah. those things are very important I think and the ideal thing is to put them involved or in touch with other resources that can get them with other veterans dealing with the same situation is ideal. You know, we had a a show a week ago about equine therapy, and it it was very helpful because uh, one of the horse trainers is a quadriplegic and very interesting in terms of the, 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 the experience of someone else as well as um, the ability to learn new skills is, is another thing that keeps things positive. We have just a, a short period of time, but I would like to look at the difficult time that comes when there is uh, depression or that gap where you've plateaued in terms of how you've worked out your recovery and you're waiting for the next growth area. A positive mindset generally leads to a more positive outcome. Would you agree with that, Michael? Yes, to a certain extent, I think that is very important is just trying to maintain and stay positive in your situation and realize that, you know, you may not recover as much, you know, because I know that when I was injured, I thought I will run again. But the reality is that I probably won't ever run again. So, you know, you have to come, you know, after you come to that, you know, and it's typically in a year and a half, two years that you're going to get your most you know, gains in recovery and, and what muscle functions are going to come back or what you're going to, sensations are going to come back. Um, but the reality is that you you need to start preparing yourself for a life, a new life, a new life mm-hmm. different, uh, a new life of adapting to your situation, trying to uh, find new ways of doing things and, and just, you know, finding a new, sometimes you have to find new friends. Um People get stuck with, you know, and, that, and sometimes you'll lose friends and, and that they have our time. Michael, you know, sorry, we have to go on a quick break. We'll be right back. 
We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymist and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer and most of all, be honest. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Ready to start rocking that woohoo that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woohoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She's a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boohoo and turn it into woohoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams off the back burner. Get inspired and motivated to take action. Start rocking that woohoo that only you do in love, life, and business. She is going to be here for you every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion on spinal cord injury. Before the break, Michael, you were talking about friends and family and making them aware and supporting them as well. Uh, We cut you off in mid-break, and you were talking about sometimes you lose friends. Would you like to continue that thought? Yeah, it's, it's as as people you know go through the process of healing, uh, and you know some some friends have a hard time dealing with that person, uh, the change that occurs. So, I think uh, you know one of the key things is just maintaining friendships with people, and and you know keeping your family tight, and uh, the person going through the problem spinal cord injury need to be more aware of how they treat their friends and family because they're going through a rough period of time, but you can't take it out on the ones you love. So that's very important. I, I love what you said earlier about you, there's a fine balance between catering to them and challenging them. I think that was sort of what you're saying here. You cannot just be bullied around. You actually have to work as a team together. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, like I also mentioned about getting them involved with adaptive sports and recreational therapy, you know, they can go and there's a lot of great organizations like On Target for Veterans and OT4V.com that uh, are trying to help give those opportunities mm-hmm. to these veterans. And, and those, and there's so many out there that you can find on the internet and, you know, just, 
on Facebook. I mean, social media. There's there's a lot Huge. of information on social media these days these days that you can find out, and they can lead you to resources to help you in your recovery, as well as giving you opportunities, even job placement. I, you know, with voc rehab, whether it's through the VA or PVA or any other voc rehab places, helping you get jobs. Very true. And I, I did want to mention that we also had a show on um, human sexuality about what happens when you have a spinal cord injury. And that is very helpful if you wanted to go reference that podcast. Um, this is to our listeners, because that's a very valid point of life that makes a, a quality of life a lot better. Chris, what would your thoughts be about what you would work on the most or what would be the most helpful in this community? I, th- I would just say getting getting people engaged to learn about it more. I mean, there you know, there's things like uh, you know, vocational rehab and education program at VA. That's the kind of thing I think that is intended for uh, veterans with more uh, you know physical disabilities. I think trying to make that program specific to those populations and and, and kind of narrowing its focus for for that purpose. Things like that. Um, and the, the the last thing, and I, I think one of the most important things is just learning about what you know, what goes with these kinds of injuries, something, just getting around is tough, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're, if you're in the family scenario, you get it, but if you're not, you don't. And so looking at accessibility issues, you know, and, and crossing veteran issues with, with, uh, with, with ADA issues and really continuing to, you know, to push for those sorts of things, because, you know, we've, we do, we, you know, we're the best country in, on earth for that, as far as across the board, accessibility and, getting around, you know, curbs and buildings, but we can always do better and, you know, put, you know, try to put yourself in, in these people's positions and you can't do that unless you're, you're, you're learning about it. And so that's sort of the takeaway. And I think that, you know, the veteran community has done a good job of making these issues more in the, you know, sort of, you know, lexicon of, you know, the, the greater country, we have a long way to go. And, and so that, that's it. I mean, I just, I keep, you know, resting on that point of, you know, if you, if you learn about this and you, you know, challenge people to, you know, learn more about what, what these issues are, you, you'll, you'll come away, you know, a little more enlightening. And, and I would just, you know, close that thought out by saying, you know, when you meet people that have gone through these experiences, you know, we all go through experiences in our life that are bad and are traumatic in some ways. But when you learn more about other people, it helps take it off of you and get out of your head and out of wherever you are, where you are, which may be a painful experience. And actually, it's sort of a healing factor to, to give and to mm-hmm. get off of yourself and get onto somebody else and learn about what they're doing. And I think it's a it's a net win for, you know, uh, the society we live in. Uh, well put. And um, I, I do want to mention that the VA does have, well, will help with adaptive vehicles, adaptive home devices mm-hmm. and help. And so those things are important to know because I don't think everyone knows. No one knows to ask each question the exact right way. And as you know, communication has to be a two-way communication with the VA to be its best result. Pam, you said you had a question. Yes, I do. And I wanted to go back to Chris, Chris's original point um, earlier when he said that people, even if they're not veterans, can can be in this space. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of ties to what you've been saying, Chris, in terms of learning about this population, learning about um, spinal cord injury and allowing yourself to be open to that understanding. And I think that that um, 
needs to be prefaced more because I think people sometimes feel like uh, Michael alluded to earlier that if you're, or I think it was you, Linda, that said if you're in a wheelchair, people don't tend to look at you. You know, they look at you differently. They, they and, glance and past. They glance you. past, and I see how people do that just in general on how we look at um, uh, disability in this country, or or you know, we 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 tend to do that because part of it is is we, we don't understand this, the comprehension level for that. And to be open to that is really imperative. So um, for Chris, here's the question. How could you um, sort of explain how a person coming into this that has empathy but not understanding for this population, how could they gain more understanding? Well, quite frankly, it's as simple as volunteering. I mean, we all think like, oh, we're so busy. But the fact is, I mean, we could yes. volunteer to do 100 different mm-hmm. things. I mean, volunteer to go to... Uh, an event put on by United Spinal Association or Paralyzed Veterans of America or the VA. I mean, volunteering is is an opportunity. You know, if you have that one that one uh, that one day that's available or the day off, and you can do it once, you can do it twice. But volunteering is probably the best way to to get into that area. And I think that when it comes to the, the comment about you know the day to day experience, I mean, with the way things are going, I mean, technology is great and it's done so much for us, but also. I mean, people in general glaze over and don't even look mm-hmm. at each other anymore. I mean, I'm surprised right. more people are falling in fountains like those you know, right. like people, you know. But 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 aside right. from that, is 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 you know connecting through volunteering and you know the more you learn, people. It's not always I think people are rude. I think it's that they they just are uninformed and they just don't yes. know how to connect and they want to. And if mm-hmm. you give them that opportunity, and I think volunteering provides that, they're going to be more in touch with how to communicate with people. And of course we all need to take out the, uh, you know, the earphones once in a while too, right. in general to do that. Right. So face to face stuff. And what you've been saying the whole program, Chris is connection, connection. Like if you have that connection and if you're open to that, then you can, you know, you can, I think you can really help in this regard. So thank you. And Michael, have you found that to be the case as well, that helping and teaching and learning and advocating has also allowed you to share this message? Absolutely. That's one thing that with OT4V.com, we definitely uh, are promoting community involvement, not only for people wanting to volunteer and help out, but also for our veterans, getting them involved with volunteering, getting them out with the communities, getting them, you know, reconnecting because getting them out of their house is the most important thing. A lot mm-hmm. of you know, these guys think that they can't do anything anymore, but they really can't. They need to get out more often. They need to volunteer themselves. Uh, they may not be able to work at the moment, but by volunteering and getting involved with the community, that opens up doors for them, possibly in the vocational rehabilitation uh, aspect of getting them, another, giving them another purpose, which is very important in life is just having purpose. And you may be injured, but you still have purpose. Well done. Um, as you look at the follow-through going forward in life, um, do you see stages in life where there will be different needs that you can help with, that others can help with, and that we can make the public more aware of uh, the different phases of life? So there's post-injury, that would be the acute phase, then there'd be the adaptive uh, time period, and then, there, of course, we do age, we can't stop that. Um, are there areas that you know about with providing the connection purpose and help during that time period, each time period. Absolutely. I think, you know, when you're first starting out, of course, it's all about your recovery and 
there's isn't you need to focus all your attention on getting as much back as you can through you know rehab and, and reaching out and getting all the resources you can in your you know therapeutic healing process but of course once you get to this, that point where you've gotten all that you're going to get then it's going to be adapting to your new lifestyle doing what you can with what you got and then, of course, as you grow older and you have to rely more on, okay, now I'm at a stage where I'm going to need more help. I need to have more people around me, you know, whether it's a personal care attendant, uh, family members attending to making sure I'm taking my medicines, making sure I'm getting my appointments, um, making sure that, you know, I'm eating right and, you know, right. exercising somewhat. So, right. and then, and then it goes to now they've long-term care. You know, mm-hmm. if you go into nursing nursing homes or, or things like mm-hmm. that, you have to consider those things. So those stages you have to prepare for, not just as an individual, but also the family members. Yeah. Good point. Um, Chris, as you go forward, we've heard about the organization that Michael has started. Can you talk a little bit about how people get in touch with you if they want to volunteer on the side that you're doing with the advocacy, the Hill, and those kinds of things? Sure, of course. I, I, I would encourage, you know, I, I, Twitter or Facebook is two input areas where a lot of people will reach out. And there, there's a ton of stuff that you can do. I mean, trust me, from letter writing campaigns to some, some pressure campaigns and some other uh, political operations I've been involved in. It's just uh, Chris Nyweem. It's C-H-R-I-S-N-E-I-W-E-E-M. That's the, the handle on Twitter. Uh, that's the Facebook. I mean, I mean, please do. Uh, I'm, I'm always happy to work with vets and also, uh, you know, try to help find veterans jobs and do do a variety of things. And, uh, and and trust me, there's a lot to do with advocacy right now because, um, you know, there's there's plenty of things that our communities need. And Congress sometimes plays games and does, you know, the political thing and, ele- and takes break for elections. And that's fine. But there's no shortage of, uh, you know, pressure that's required to get them back to the table to get things done. Because, you know, we really just don't have time to play games when it comes to issues that are really important to our lives, like, like health care and others. It's not just a, a luxury. It's, frankly, things that, that we depend on. And so if people want to get involved, uh, they sh- I certainly welcome. I, I will put them to work uh, right away <laughs> if, that's what, if they'd like to do some advocacy. Uh, thank you both. Uh, we are much more informed now about spinal cord injuries and opportunities for volunteering on both ends of the scale, personally and also legislatively and even politically. Thank you so much for being with us today. I am so grateful to have your expertise, and we are delighted. Come join us again on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we will talk with you next week. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your